And yet, despite that, despite the billions of dollars spent every year, I was Carl Sagan, I could say billions and billions. Some of you remember that guy. In the end, we all succumbed. We just came through a global pandemic. Lots of people died. You know, it's weird. I'm normally, generally, the pastor and a super healthy guy. You know, as far as getting cold and stuff. I've been sick three times this year. Right. I don't know what's wrong with me. Back in the 80s, the Steve Miller band sang a song called Love Stinks. Remember that song? Yeah. Love Stinks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Background vocals, Love Stinks. Yeah. I think a better song would be Death Stinks. Because it's been the scourge of humanity from almost the very beginning. Every one of our lives regularly is affected by death. And not to be morbid, okay? I don't want to depress you this morning. Trust me, this gets better. <laughs> Should the Lord carry, every one of us will someday face the great equalizer, not the IRS. <laughs> I, mean, I hope you will face that. But death. Maybe the IRS is worse. You know, it's interesting, even Jesus thought death. Now, how do I know that? Well, there's a story where he reacts to the death of his good friend. This is a story. A guy named Lazarus. Now, Jesus and his disciples, they're across the Jordan. So they're, they're, they're way east. And they get word that their friend Lazarus, who's the brother of their other friends, Mary and Martha, Lazarus is dying. And so, of course, you think that this is like one of Lazarus's best, or Jesus' best friends. Jesus is going, man, we, we need to hop the next donkey on over there and go, go help my buddy Lazarus out, right? I mean, Jesus heal people all the time. That is not what happened. Jesus actually waits. He kind of chills there where he's at across the Jordan for a couple more days. And of course, Lazarus dies. So Lazarus dies, and then they're like, they get word, and just like, oh, hey, let's go to Judea now. And the disciples are looking at him like, bro. Okay. So they travel two days back to Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem. First, Martha comes out, and she kind of confronts Jesus. Mary comes out, she says something pretty similar, right? She's like, you know, you've been here, not just when you died. Both times Jesus kind of has a scripture you believe in the glory of God and the resurrection of the dead, blah, 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 kind of thing. It's kind of like, yeah, what's up there in the name? So Jesus goes to the tomb where Lazarus is. Could not 
who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Now, when you hear the crowds murmuring here about how Jesus could have healed Lazarus, their murmuring is not misplaced. I don't generally think it was really accusatory as much as it was Jesus healed people. Why? He could have healed this dude. I wonder why he didn't. And it kind of echoes, you know, Mary's earlier statement to Jesus. If he'd been there, Lazarus would not have died. But you see, Jesus has other plans. He had pointed out to his disciples, we didn't read this part before they came, that kind of this whole this whole situation was being orchestrated in a way to help them and us to believe. We're going to see something really special happen. There's also something I think this story gives us. It gives us a little insight into how Jesus feels about all the grief and the pain that sin and death have brought into our lives. Because he's there, and he sees all the people mourning, especially his close friends, Martha and Mary. And he goes to the tomb, and he sees where Lazarus has been for four days now. Four days being important because there was an ancient belief that the soul left the body after three days. So in four days, it was guaranteed that in their minds Lazarus was good and dead. He's there, and he sees all this, and the tomb, and the people weeping, and he feels the tangible sting of death, which is the result of sin coming into the world. And what does it say? It says, Jesus wept. We're also told twice he was NIV and ESV, and they translate it deeply moved. He's deeply moved in his spirit. This is kind of where our translations break down, I think. I'm glad for our translators. Don't ever get me wrong. I am glad that I do not have to translate the entire Bible into English every time I, you know, preach. And sometimes I just question what they're driving at. The Greek word here, same word used twice. It's used two other times in the New Testament. The other times are in its active form. It means to sternly warn or admonish. That's an active this is the participle here. When it's in the participle, it actually means to be angry or upset or indignant. Jesus was indignant. He was deeply upset. He was possibly angry at what had happened. He's not sad because Lazarus died. He already knows what he plans to do about that. Looking around at the other people. He's seeing the grief and the pain. That's what's got him upset. He looks at his friends. He looks at their mourning. He looks at their pain. And he's overwhelmed by the pain caused by sin and death. We might say he's angry looking at the massive suffering that sin and death have brought into the world. Brought particularly close to him because these are his very close friends whom he deeply loved. And so Jesus wept. But I don't think Jesus so much wept for Lazarus. He wept for the suffering he knows that death has caused. He 
who weeps for Mary and for Martha, and maybe even for us, who suffer the indignities and the horrors of sin and death and pain and everything that goes with it. And maybe even he's angry. He despises seeing what sin and death has done. But see, that's not the end of the story. Because there's some weeping, but there's joy. On, verse 39. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone and then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they might believe you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. This is great! Jesus comes and he says, roll away the stone. And Martha's like, because Martha's ever practical, right? Yeah, okay, I like Martha, man. She, I like Martha. Martha is a good woman. She is practical. And she's like, uh, Jesus, he's thinking about that. Because, I mean, they knew the death stink, for sure. Not just figuratively, but literally. But they do as Jesus says. And surprise! Out comes Lazarus, right? All wrapped up, mummy like. Probably a little bit stenchy. Because, I mean, he hasn't had a bath for four days, and they would have wrapped, put some spices and stuff on him. He probably didn't want to use the bathroom. <laughs> probably a little stenchy. And I imagine in moments, just like that. Everybody's grief turned to overwhelming joy as they saw death conquer, at least momentarily. And I say momentarily because, of course, we know poor Lazarus has the unfortunate distinction, along with those saints who came out of the tombs when Jesus was raised, of getting to die again. I always think about poor Lazarus. He's gone on to the afterlife, right? He's all happy. And there he is, and all of a sudden, you know, he hears this voice. And, I mean, he's, you know, his soul or spirit or whatever you want to call it has gone off to God. But even then, no spirit can disobey the voice of Jesus. And Jesus calls him forth and makes him come back to his body. And he's like, dude, you got to kid me. What? And of course, he gets to die again. Of course, this miracle that we are told later in the scriptures is the one that really gets Jesus' enemies really plotting his demise. But it's Jesus' demise that sets the stage for the only true hope that we can cling to in this life. The hope of resurrection. Jesus mourns 
bit at Lazarus' tomb. But he also knows, even then, he is the only one who can permanently deal with the destruction that sin and death have brought on him. Shortly after this, Jesus would be crucified. The innocent dying in the place of the guilty, that's us. Dying in our place for our sins. On what we call Good Friday, it was good for us, but not for Jesus. He dies in our place, paying the penalty for our sin. He had no sin to pay for of his own, but he went and took the penalty of sin, which is death, in our place. We remembered and celebrated and stand carefully elucidated us on that Friday night. But even then, Dan pointed out Friday night, disciples, they ran, they mourned, they hid, they didn't know what was going on. The women were at the tomb crying. Because once again, death stinks. As far as they knew, Jesus was dead. Think about it, were it not for a couple of brave men who recovered the body of Jesus and provided the tomb, he might not have even got a decent burial. But then, but then, this happens. Luke chapter 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Because remember, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus get the body, throw them in the tomb, and they, they don't have time, they don't feed them, they just wrap them in the tomb. Right? When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. Because you know, whenever the angels show up, it's not like that old TV show with Roman Downey. Oh, only the angels sent the Lord God. No, every time angels show up in the Bible, it's like, Corinthians 15. He 
makes the same argument. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ, they're not coming back. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all people. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who died. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he's destroyed all dominion and authority and power. Paul kind of basically says if there's no resurrection, then eh, you're still dead when we die. Says our belief would be worthless because the end result would still be the same. Death reigns, and that's the end of us. And if that's the case, death still reigns, then maybe the, the nihilism of Nietzsche would be a better way to live than to have some false belief with no real hope. Because you aren't destined to go be some disembodied spirit floating around the cosmos, sitting on a cloud, little David play on your harp, hallelujah, hallelujah. Death stays for sure. For the stench of death is wiped away by the sweet aroma of eternal life for all who believe in Jesus. The ancient confession goes Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. You died to pay for your sins, you rose to conquer sin and death, and give us eternal life. 
that confession, to move beyond the stench of death, to the sure hope of eternal life. He is not here. He is risen. Our Father, we are here this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, where we celebrate the resurrection, this weekend where we look at the cross and the payment for sin. Glory now.